Man, what a beautiful time of worship we just had together. Uh, I'm just so thankful for our team. Can we just give them a hand together? Can we do that? Uh, this morning, I am so excited, and I hope you're excited, because we really embark on something absolutely historic in our church, where today, as one church in two locations, we commit, and I mean like fully commit, like throw away the receipt kind of commit. You know what I mean? You know what I mean. Throw away the receipt kind of commit of saying we will be unapologetically a church in English and in Spanish for our community. Can we celebrate that together? We will be unapologetic in that. We'll be unapologetic of saying we will communicate the greatest message in the world about the greatest king in the world in a way that everyone can understand. No matter what language you speak, whether it's English or Spanish, we want to be a place and a space an avenue for you to know the Lord, to love people, to be able to be able to be discipled in all these things. And so what's just so exciting is that today we do embark in this historic journey of starting a second service here. And I believe that we will be an example, not just to Tulsa, but to Oklahoma as well. Because I don't know if you know this, but you're part of something that's really cool that's not happening anywhere else in Oklahoma where we are actually trying to be a bilingual family of faith, where we can walk around and see someone who doesn't speak our language and say, hola, familia, and we mean it, because in Christ we are family. And so you might be asking, Misad, how did we get here? How did we get to a 1230 service? Because some of you had a behind-the-scenes look at what was going on. Some of you didn't. So I'm going to show you some pictures of just how we got there, because God began a new work a couple years ago. And that part of that new work was saying, let's be a church, that does do things in two languages, but it was last year, almost last year to the date, that we took this little small step of faith and started a small group in our church. And so we said, well, if we're going to start a new small group, might as well start it in Spanish so that all those who can speak Spanish can be a part of it. So here's a picture of that very first little thing that we did. Uh, and so that was the very first uh, little small group moment that we had. And what's so incredible to me is right now we're in a sermon series in Nehemiah. And you know, do you know what we started with studying in that small group? Nehemiah. Yes, yes, he knows, he knows. We started in Nehemiah, and it's, it's like, okay, because of the Lord's providence, like, we're back in Nehemiah. And so uh, tomo- uh, today, uh, we're going to be in Nehemiah in both places. And so then, after that, you know, we accumulated some leaders, and we were studying uh, the Bible together, being able to create friendships together. And so then, we started to pray, right? You prayed with me. Lord, will you bring a bilingual worship leader? You know, maybe his name is Jesus. Maybe his name is not Jesus, whatever it looks like. Lord, please, will you just bring somebody? Jesus, please. And he did bring Jesus. It was great. And his wife, uh, his wife, Robbie, I love them. And so we started this thing called Noche de Vida. Noche de Vida uh, was a worship night all in Spanish. And so I want to just show you a picture of that, kind of what that looked like. Um, and I'm so grateful even uh, for Robbie uh, Galindo, uh, who took some of these pictures. And so here we see this progression, right? We had this small group, and then we started Noche de Vida. And we did this for four months. Uh, and this is us. This is our church, okay? This is you. Some of you served. Some of you came, which I was just so grateful for. And then we did that for four months, and we said, okay, we're going to do this for four months, and then, then we're going to soft launch a service at 1230 and just see what the Lord does because we do understand that 78% of our community is bilingual. And so let's walk in that. Let's not be apologetic. And so the thing is is that we need to be a church who is passionate about the gospel, a church who is passionate about loving all people to Christ no matter what language they speak because we understand that all people need Jesus, and we strive to communicate that. 
And what's so comforting to me, and I hope it's comforting for you, we're, and we're actually going to tie this into the sermon, is that the Lord doesn't just start a work, but the Lord is the one that sustains the work as well. He starts the work, and then he helps us persevere through the work and saying, I'm going to help you endure in what I've told you to do. I'm going to help you to keep going in what I've told you to do. Because the Lord is, is not just the author, but the finisher of our faith, the author and the finisher of the work. And I believe that the Lord's going to help us persevere through the unknowns of what this looks like. He's going to help us persevere through the awkwardness of seeing a church member that you don't really know how to communicate with. So you're going to smile, you're going to wave, you're going to get a handshake, might give a hug. The Lord's going to help us persevere through all of this. And this is actually what we see in the book of Nehemiah in chapter 6. Whereas we look at Nehemiah, we see that the Lord helps him persevere. So when we think about the sermon title and the, mess, and the title of our message this morning is this, Reconstruct How to Persevere. Reconstruct How to Persevere. That's the title for us uh, this morning. And so uh, as, you, as you turn to Nehemiah chapter 6, I just want to point some things out to you because that's where we're going to be. Nehemiah chapter 6. I want to point out to you that me personally, I've been very encouraged and very challenged with uh, this whole sermon series of Reconstruct. Because we have been talking about, okay, Lord, what do you have to reconstruct in me? Lord, what do you have to reconstruct in my family? Lord, what would you have us reconstruct in our church, and how can I be a part of that? So it's been really encouraging to me of just seeing what people can accomplish when the Lord's hand is on them. And then it's also been very, very challenging to saying, okay, for those who, who God does have their hand on, they have to be willing to count the cost. You have to be willing to count the cost to follow the Lord and reconstruct different aspects of your life. And so if you're there at Nehemiah chapter 6 with me, let's go ahead and stand up. And we're going to read the first nine verses together. So starting in verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 6, it says this. When word came to Sambalit, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and, and not a gap was left in it, Though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sam Ballot and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sam Ballot sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. So here's what the letter says. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now the report will go back to the king. So come, let us come together. I sent him this reply. So this is what Nehemiah said to them. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. But I pray. So this is Nehemiah's short little prayer. He says, now, Lord, now strengthen my hands. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And praise be to God. Amen. As we've looked at this, these chapters in Nehemiah, and even as we look at chapter 6, what we continually see is that Nehemiah leans heavily on the Lord. 
He leans heavily and says, Lord, help me continue in your will. And so here's the big main idea for us this morning. I've already said it a couple times, but I just want to make sure you write it down. The big main idea is that God helps us persevere. God helps us persevere. And so as we look at uh, the first couple of verses, I, want you to just point, I just want to point out something to you. The first couple of verses help us see a false accusation. A false accusation. So just when you thought, right, just when you thought that the enemies of Israel, the enemies of Nehemiah had maybe gone away, or maybe they would gotten rid of them, well, here they are, and they make a comeback. And they're coming back to Nehemiah. And actually what we see in the first couple of verses is murder attempt number one. Murder attempt number one. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to get Nehemiah to come outside of the city walls and, and to draw him out, to draw him out of the city, out of the walls, and isolate him outside into this place called Ono, which if someone asked me to go to a place called Ono, I'd probably say, oh, no. Yeah, no, no I'm not going there. I'm not going there. So there's this place that was outside of the walls. And so what's interesting is that they were trying to draw him out, isolate him, trap him to kill him. That's what they were doing. And so we see that they're trying to hurt him, and Nehemiah has this discernment, this insight to say, no, I, I think these people are trying to scheme against me, trying to kill me. And I'm just going to take a moment to pause, take a step back, and say, think about that. Isn't that what the enemy tries to do with us? Isn't that what happens when we are in our sin, where <clears throat> the enemy tries to take us out of the church, take us out of biblical community, isolate us, and in that isolation, tries to trap us and then hurt us. Isn't that what happens? And so we need to have that same discernment that Nehemiah has to say, whoa, 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 take it easy. Time out, time out. You're scheming against me. I have this discernment. I'm walking with the Lord, and, and the Lord is going to help me persevere. Why? Because I'm praying, now strengthen my hand. And so Nehemiah understands this. He understands that there's this trap that's going on. And he says, uh, yeah, oh, no, I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not doing that. And then we look at verse 5. So look at verse 5 with me. It says, then the fifth time, the fifth time. So they had already sent four messages before. This is the fifth one. And the fifth one says the exact same thing, but then there's an unofficial uh, um, letter that is brought to Nehemiah with all of these false accusations. Saying, yeah, Nehemiah, this is what you're trying to do, man. You're trying to start a rebellion. You're trying to be the king of this place. You're trying to establish another kingdom that's not the Persian kingdom. You're doing all these things. You are building all these walls in order for you to take over this whole place. And Nehemiah's like, you're out of your mind. And he's like, you, you, you just made that up in your head. That's exactly what Nehemiah says. And as we look at Nehemiah's response, and as we look at the false accusation that was given to Nehemiah, here's what I couldn't help thinking of. There's a similarity between uh, the accusations that were to Nehemiah that were to Jesus as well. So think about Jesus. Think about the Pharisees and the nobles and the officials that uh, came to Jesus and they, they hated him because they thought he was trying to start a rebellion. They thought he was trying to be this, the new king of the Roman Empire, that he was trying to take over and establish some kind of earthly kingdom. They were giving Jesus all these false accusations in order to kill him. Now, I do want to just take a moment and say you do know that it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. It was our sin that put him on the cross, and it was his love that kept him there. Because Jesus had all the authority and all the power to, to step down from the cross and say, yeah, I'm not, I'm not about to do that. But he stayed there out of love for you. So it was our sin that, that, that put him on the cross. It was his love in which kept him there. 
But in the eyes of this humanity, they're like, yeah, no, we're going we're gonna to crucify him because, man, there's just all these accusations against him. And at the end of the day, Jesus was like, hey, man, I'm not, I'm not trying to establish a kingdom in this land. I'm, I'm here to establish the kingdom of heaven. There's, there's a difference here. We're in the work of the Lord. And so as we read this, as we just see the accusation of Nehemiah, as we see the accusation that was given to Jesus, here's just a question I want to ask you. Have you ever been falsely accused? Have you ever been falsely accused of something? Whether it's something small, whether it's something big, I just want you to think about those moments that maybe someone said something about you that wasn't true. And here's just the reality of life. We cannot live above accusation. We can't. We can't live above accusation because everyone can accuse somebody about something. Everybody. But here's what we do see in the Word of God. We see it in 1 Timothy. We see it in the book of Titus. That we are to be a people who live above reproach. Because we can't live above accusation. But we can live above reproach, meaning we are living a kind of life that is holy and pure and righteous, that when accusations come, they're wrong. When accusations come, everyone's like, no, like no wrong can be found here. No wrong can be found in their life publicly or privately because they are living above reproach. And I think the reason that Nehemiah could live this way is because he continued to lean on the Lord heavily because the Lord had to persevere in his life, and I just love Nehemiah's short little prayer at the very end that says, but I prayed, and I'll strengthen my hands. You see, sometimes it's those little prayers. It's those little prayers that really help us, and, and the Lord helps us to persevere in our life. And so we've seen this false accusation in these first nine verses. The next thing I want to point to you is uh, verses 10 to 17. And what we see here is a uh, flimsy intimidation. A flimsy intimidation. I wanted to use uh, some alliteration here. And so I'm going to read just a little bit to you, starting in verse 10. We're going to see the flimsy intimidation. It says this, One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Delaiah, the son of Mehitabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, Let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, this is verse 11, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that the Lord had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. And so in all of this, we, uh, we've seen Murder attempt number one, where they were trying to take Nehemiah outside the city. And now we see murder attempt number two, where instead of, instead of trying to draw Nehemiah outside the city, now they come in inside the city and they try to hire somebody to kill Nehemiah. And what's interesting about this man, uh, Shemaiah, is that uh, some scholars believe that he was one of the prophets that were supposed to help out. He's one of the prophets who were uh, walking with Nehemiah, but now he's turned against him. He's been paid off. You know, they paid him money in order to try to draw Nehemiah to the temple. And what's interesting is that this man is telling, uh, telling Nehemiah, hey, people are going to come kill you. You should go to the temple. Now, again, Nehemiah has his discernment from the Lord, has some insight from the Lord. And he knows his Bible. He knows the law. He knows uh, the, the Pentateuch where he knows that it's only the priests 
that can go into the temple. It's only the priests that can go into the Holy of Holies. And so not only would Nehemiah be a bad leader to allow other people to fight his battles and not come alongside his people to fight the enemy at night, not only would he be a bad leader, but if he walked into the temple as not a priest, as unclean, he would die. He would die because he would be an unclean, unholy presence in the holy presence of the Lord. And so Nehemiah says, man, who, who am I? Like, why would I enter into the temple to save my life when ultimately um, I would go in and I would die? Like, you're trying to trap me from the inside. And so Nehemiah understands this, and, and he knows that they're trying to discredit him. And then verse 14, look at that with me. As he realizes all this, he, he begins to pray again. Nehemiah is a man of prayer. Verse 14 says, Remember Tobiah and Sambalit, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in the 50 and 52 days. And so this is just incredible that now after 52 days, the walls are completed. That the Lord has allowed and helped Nehemiah persevere through all of this opposition, through all of these attacks, through all of these traps. And the Lord is walking with him. And, and here's, here's what's fascinating. If you keep on reading in verse 16, it says this, that when all the enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. It was an incredible thing to see that the Israelites had built this entire structure in 52 days. And now the same people who opposed the working of the wall are now the same people who are afraid because they understand that the work was God's work. They understand that God's hand was all over it. And what's fascinating to me is that the same people who opposed this work were the same people who recognized the power of God. And let's think about this just personally real quick. Think of your life, think of someone else's life, and maybe this is you today. And what it, what, what it is is that maybe you recognize that there is a God somewhere. Maybe you do recognize there is a God, but you don't recognize your need for a God. You see, there's people that it seems that they just want to recognize that there's a God somewhere, but they don't recognize their need for God. You see, we need God because without Jesus who is God himself, we are not born again. Without Jesus, we are not new creations. Without Jesus, we are not made new. Without Jesus, we are still stuck in our sin. Without Jesus, we are not forgiven. Without Jesus, we are still in our own filth. Without Jesus, we are still lonely. You see, it doesn't matter how cool you think you are. It doesn't matter how awesome you think you are. It doesn't matter how, how in incredible your family is. It, nothing of that matters because you're still broken. You're still broken. And you still need Jesus. We still need him in our life because he, Jesus, is and was and forever will be the lamb, the perfect lamb that was slain. Again, remember, he was the one that went to the cross because of our sin and stayed there because of the love for us. And he died for us. But then after three days, he rose from the grave as the risen Savior. So he's, yes, the perfect Lamb of God that was slain, but also the risen Savior for us so that we may live to where Jesus can look at us and say, hey, if you want to follow me out of the grave, you better be willing to follow me into the grave. That's what he was saying. And so we see that this is who Jesus is. And, man, you better believe 
You better believe that the enemies of God tremble. You better believe that as believers, we can walk in confidence because of our great God. We can walk in confidence to where all of these enemies flee and they're like, oh my goodness, I'm so afraid. That's what we see in these verses. The wall is completed. And so then now, so now I want us to look at chapter 7. We're going to look at just the beginning of chapter 7. So we've seen these false accusations. We've seen these flimsy intimidations. Uh, the next thing that we're going to see at the beginning of chapter 7 is a factual registration. A factual registration. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says this, After the wall had been, complete, had been rebuilt and had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with him Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, The gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Before I keep reading, uh, this is just a big moment of celebration for Israel. Because God has provided, and his provision, God now allowed them and helped them build the entire wall. And so again, God is someone who begins the work and also sustains the work. He helps us persevere, and so what Nehemiah is doing, and he's not persevering alone. Now he's setting up leaders and appointing leaders in different locations, his brother and then another man, but what they all have, have in common, and look at it with me, they all have in common what? Integrity and fear of God. You see, if, if we are followers of Jesus, and we want to be leaders in our home, leaders in our friends, leaders in school, leaders at the church, if we want to be leaders we have to have integrity, and we have to fear the Lord. We have to. And so you might be asking me, Said, what does integrity mean? Well, I wrote it down right here. Integrity is being upright and honest whenever someone is watching or when someone is not watching. And then what's the fear of the Lord? And said, like, how am I to live with the fear of the Lord? Well, it's a kind of fear that brings reverence and honor to the Lord. They're saying, I want to do everything possible to honor the Lord, to... Make sure everyone reveres his name. And I don't want to do anything that brings shame to the Lord. And so you see here that these are the type of people who are to lead with integrity, with fear of God. And then in verse 4, I want you to see this with me. Verse 4, chapter 7, it says this. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it. And the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical order of those who had been the first to return. This is what I found written there. And so before we get to what was written in verse 6, look at verse 5 just one more time with me. It says, So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles. Throughout this whole time in Nehemiah, Nehemiah has been just coming close to the Lord. He's been seeking the Lord. He's been saying, Lord, give me some advice. What do I do? He's been going to him and going to him. And now we see this little moment where instead of Nehemiah going to the Lord, the Lord comes to him. And he puts it into his heart. What I find just so fascinating is, is Nehemiah did see his relationship with the Lord so close 
He knew that the Lord was with him at all times. That the Lord could could speak to him in this still, small voice and say, okay, we're going to do this. And what gives me so much confidence is that Nehemiah knew the Lord was close because he was with him. But right now, if you're a believer in Jesus, we can have confidence that the Lord is with you, not just because he's right beside you, but because he's in you. Because of the Holy Spirit that is in you, the promised Holy Spirit. If we think about Jesus, you know, right as he was ascending, and and even he talked about it before ascending into heaven, he said, I'm going to send you someone else of the same kind that will be in you, that will guide you, that will help you. And this Holy Spirit will be in you. And wherever the Holy Spirit is, I will be there as well. Because we serve the one and true triune God of the universe. Wherever God the Father is, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit is there as well. Wherever God the Son is, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are there as well. Wherever God the Holy Spirit is, God the Father and God the Son are there as well. And so Jesus is saying, I will be with you always. And not just with you, but I will be in you because of the Holy Spirit. And so as we look at all of this with Nehemiah and how Nehemiah continued to draw close to the Lord, he continued to seek the Lord's advice, here's the big application for us this morning. We have been applying some things and making it personal, yeah, but what's the big takeaway? What's the one thing that you can do literally today? Here's what I want you to write down. I don't want you to miss this. Seek the Holy Spirit's advice. That's it. Seek the Holy Spirit's advice. A couple days ago, weeks ago, I was able to speak at our, uh, our fall retreat for our, our junior high students. And I had the privilege of just talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is our helper and our counselor. And I said, hey, I asked them, I said, hey, when's the last time you asked the Holy Spirit for advice? And everyone was like, well, I never really thought about that. And so that's my question for you. Who are the people that you go to to seek advice? Who are the people that you go to when something bad is happening or something good is happening or maybe you have a decision to make and you don't know what to do or where to go and you ask them? Who are those people in your life? And then the follow-up question is, when's the last time you asked God for advice? When's the last time you asked the Holy Spirit for advice that's in you? And don't forget, this is the same Holy Spirit in which has the power to raise Jesus from the grave. This is the same Holy Spirit that hovered over the waters in creation This is the same Holy Spirit that descended down like a dove onto Jesus. And don't forget, this is the Holy Spirit that is now in you, the one that has sealed you. The same Holy Spirit is the one that we can go into and say, hey, uh, what would you do? What advice would you give me? And the reason that we can, I mean, another reason why we can uh, lean on the Holy Spirit is because in Proverbs, it calls the Holy Spirit wisdom. It calls it wisdom. So if you want the wisdom of God, maybe we should ask the wisdom of God and saying, hey, Holy Spirit, what would I do? And so we need to seek the advice because that's exactly what we saw in Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, even in his little prayers, that's exactly what helped him persevere. These little prayers of, Lord, what would I do? What's the advice that you would give me? So then I want to point you, and I want you to write this down. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. So I'll say it again. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13. If I were to tell you to take some time and read this later in your day, I know you won't. So I'll just kind of summarize it for you. Practically, you have Elijah in this mountain seeking the word of the Lord, seeking to hear from God. 
And uh, what happens is as he's standing there, this fire comes down, but he says God wasn't there. This earthquake happened, and he said, yeah, God's, God's voice wasn't there either. This great wind came by, but yeah, the voice of God wasn't there either. But what happens in 1 Kings chapter 19 is that God, he speaks and he whispers in a gentle little voice. He whispers to him. And you might be asking me, Said, okay, I, I want to seek the advice of the Holy Spirit, but why is it that he whispers? Check this out. This is crazy cool. If God had to scream, that means he's probably far away. And God doesn't have to scream because he's far away. If God had to talk with like a normal voice, that means he's like in front of us. But he's not in front of us. But God whispers because he's in us. God whispers because he wants us to lean in close. He whispers because he wants our full attention. He wants us to lean in and focus and say, Lord, you have my full attention. Lord, you have all of me. What do you have to say, Lord? I know you're talking to me. He wants us to lean in and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask for your advice, but I'm also going to be still and listen. Because when you ask for somebody's advice, you don't just talk the whole time, do you? You ask and then you listen. And so that's my encouragement to you is let's, let's ask the Holy Spirit for advice because I will dare say that the Holy Spirit is probably the best Christian counselor you can find. He probably is. He's the best friend you've been looking for. He is the God we have been longing for for our entire life. And why not ask him for advice? I understand that sometimes it can be weird of saying, okay, Lord, like, ah, I mean, where do I go? What do I do? But the Lord wants to help. The Lord wants to guide. He wants you to persevere. He wants you to endure. He wants you to keep going. That's what we see in Nehemiah, and that's what we can see in our own life. And I just want to ask you if, if you need advice today, you can ask the Lord. So I want to give you just a moment to write down what advice do you need today? And I want you to think about that. What advice are you looking for in this moment? And ask yourself, what is that? And then I want you to write it down. You can type it out and say, okay, God, this is the advice I'm looking for. This is the advice I need today. This is the advice I need this month. Here's the advice I need this year of where to go or what to do or how to do it. Because the Lord, the Holy Spirit is our helper. He does help us persevere. And so in this moment, once you get done writing, let's go ahead and bow our heads together. As you bow your head, I just want you to start praying and say, Holy Spirit, what would you do? That one thing that you wrote down that you said, I need advice on this. Would you just start praying? Say, Lord, I need advice on this. Help me, help me know what to do, how to do it, where to go. Because I know that in my own personal life, God has made it clear. Because I always ask the Lord, Lord, would you make it clear? Lord, thank you that you are close. Lord, thank you that you are the author and the finisher, not just of our faith, but of the work. 
and that you help us persevere through it all. You help us persevere through the attacks, through the unknown, through the uncomfortable. Lord, thank you for how you do that. Thank you so much that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you and you alone are the one that seal us. And you promise to be with us and help us. Lord, hear the cry of your people this morning. Lord, hear their prayers. Lord, give them the advice that they need because you are our great counselor, our great helper. Lord, we seek your wisdom. Lord, help us persevere. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. As we stand up together and and, and sing this last song, I'm going to be standing right over here. And so if you need to talk about something, if you need prayer about something, uh, I want to do that with you. And so let's go ahead and respond to the Lord in praise.